This podcast is part of the Power of Podcasting Network. Find it at powerofpodcasting.com. Today on episode number 645, uh, you know, it's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get back up. Oh, okay, seriously, Adrian! I've always said, if you know what your audience wants and you give it to them, it works. Today we're going to talk with Kathy Heller. She is amazing. Wait till you hear her story. It takes time with anything to be good at it. And I think we all have to have the courage to make mediocre things so that we can then push through that and make brilliant things. And then... I'm going to share the story of Tim Page, who actually quit his day job, and he tells you how he did it. Hit it, ladies! The School of Podcasting with Dave Jackson. Podcasting since 2005. I am your award-winning Hall of Fame podcast consultant, Dave Jackson, thanking you so very much for tuning in. This is where I help you massage your message. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to help you face your fears, tackle that technology, and flatten the learning curve and get you going on a podcast, but not just like any podcast, because you can go watch a bunch of old outdated YouTube videos. Trust me, a lot of people still do that, and they steer themselves right into the wall. I get you going in the right direction. Let me share a quick... I got this email from Jacob Caldwell. Jacob signed up for my mentoring program, which you can find at schoolofpodcasting.com. He said, Dave, I'm reading through the Dynamic Communications, which is a book I always recommend. He says, and I'm working uh, my first episode as I go. Should have content done this weekend and ready to record my last test episode for you to review next week. If all goes well and it seems like it will, I'll start creating the next three based on that framework and get this thing launched. He says, I know we've only been working together for a week but I've gotten a ton of value and can't thank you enough. I can't wait for you guys to hear Jacob's podcast when it's ready to go. And so if you want to sign up for the coaching, that's really easy. Just go to schoolofpodcasting.com slash work with me. If you want to sign up for the membership site, kind of work at your own pace, I've got a coupon for that. Listener, that's L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R, and that'll save you on either the monthly membership or the yearly membership, or you can buy the classes a la carte. And today, I am so excited. Wait till you hear Kathy Heller. You can find her at don'tkeepyourdayjob.com. And I originally heard her on the Jordan Harbinger show. Jordan is a great interviewer. I love listening to Jordan and I listen to the show, but I always listen to what his follow up questions are. And I kind of did a Jordan in this. I'll talk about that at the end of uh, the interview here. But Kathy is someone who is doing something that I've always said you should do. And that is figure out who your audience is and then give them what they want. I know that sounds simple, but so many times, for whatever reason, we skip that step. We we give them what we think they want or things like that. No, she went and figured it out and then did that and is making, I, I hate to be so cliche, she is just crushing it. And then, so she had this great business going on. What did she do to dump fire on the gasoline? That's right. She started a podcast and everything just keeps growing and growing. And the deeper she gets into her niche, she finds something else that they need. Oh, and by the way, she's doing this with three kids. And I listened to her episode 100 and that inspired me. Again, you want to create content that inspires people to action. And she inspired me to go, oh, I've got to have you on the show. 
Cause I heard her story on Jordan's and I was like, man, that's, that's a great story. When I heard episode 100, I'm like, Oh, she's got to come on the show. And on that show, she shared a lot of really intimate things about her life. And so I ask about that at the beginning of our episode, but thank you so much, Kathy Heller for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Do you ever feel self-conscious like you started off talking about your struggles with infertility and that immensely immediately grabbed me i spent myself into bankruptcy with infertility treatments i know it's crazy so when i saw that do you ever feel i don't know do you ever go i'm not sure if i should talk about this on yeah, your show yeah of course there are certain things like um sometimes if i don't want to make someone else uncomfortable you know like sometimes i want to talk about something that happened with my childhood like you know talk about my parents or i want to talk about just how marriage is hard and i don't want like someone to be offended and that is a thing you know it's hard when your life is about sharing and speaking and then you've been given a platform and you feel in a way that you should be real because it's going to help so many other people and thankfully, I have a family that's made up of people who are they're being good sports about it. You know, they they recognize that this is like just my truth. It's like it's not like I'm making it up. Um, and so I do tend to share and I've, I've been gaining a muscle to share more and more. And I feel like people are so thirsty to hear what's really happening in people's lives. It looks like on social media, everyone just has the perfect day and the perfect marriage and the perfect everything. And I think that that's really, really hurting us. So I am trying to change that. What is the response when you do share something like that on, on your show from your audience? I feel like people just feel so like they're not alone and it makes people feel hopeful and it makes people feel like, you know, they're less anxious because they're, they're not comparing themselves to some fictionalized version of reality, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what caught my ear when you were on Jordan's show is your your mu- your music background, and how long did it take you? You actually got a record deal. How long mm-hmm. did it take you to get the record deal? Um, that took me about took about three years um, to get the first one, and then I got another one. I was dropped twice. Now, anyone can be rejected once, but to be rejected twice—that's a skill. How did you find out the first time? The first time I driving in my car and Ron Fair called me. He was my producer. He also he used to be a judge on American Idol. He he helped produce Lady Gaga and Christina Aguilera and Pussycat Dolls. He's like a very prolific producer. Um, I saw his name come up in my phone and um, I was driving. He said, can you pull over? Just get to somewhere as comfortable so we could talk. And I'm like, oh, that can't be good. You know, so I pulled over. He's like, you know, Jimmy Iovine was nervous that this was not a slam dunk, that it wouldn't be super easy to market the record. And he just doesn't get it. And he's the boss. So I'm so sorry, but we're not going to be able to, you know, continue. And it was just like that right there, you know, on the side of the road, I found out. How do you then push through? Because that's the one thing I, I love about your story is you are politely persistent. Oh, yeah. My husband says I have the will of a small country. I'm very <laughs> persistent. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's hard. I mean, I cried and then I felt bad. And I then thought to myself, well, maybe it's that they don't get it, but another label would get it. And so I tried to figure out, you know, what other label would be excited about this and who could I talk to? And can I leverage that experience to to meet with someone else? And I did. And I met with Atlantic Records and 
they got all excited. And then again, it just fell apart. So then I really felt a little bit lost. I felt like I had gone to see the Wizard of Oz, except that he couldn't do anything for me. And that was a bad feeling. Um, And I wound up trying to fit myself into a pantsuit and go get a real job, quote unquote. I was like, I guess music isn't for me. I guess I have to do something else. So I thought about all the things I could do. I got a job on Craigslist. It was working in a casting office. And I did that for a little while and felt really gross doing that. And then I um, worked at a interior design office. I was like, oh, maybe I'll do something creative, but just not music. But I realized I wasn't really good at interior design and there was so much math and it just wasn't what I thought it was. And then a friend of mine said, why don't you do something good for the world? Why don't you work for like a nonprofit? So I did that. And I was just like so sad all the time seeing people who were ill. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to do this. And then a friend of mine said, as long as you're not going to do your dream, why don't you just spend your time doing something that at least makes you a lot of money? So I started working at a commercial real estate firm where people were selling like $300 million buildings. And I was like, oh, all I have to do is go make friends. And I did that for a year and a half. And I started to make decent money. And I just started crying one day in my cute little Mercedes. I was driving down the street. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. You know, I want a sense of purpose. This is miserable. I don't want to just make money every day. I can't make money be the thing that I'm pining for every day. Like there's gotta be something that I'm doing that feels like I'm in alignment with myself. You know, I want to contribute something to the world. And I then had a conversation with a friend and she said, well, isn't there anything else you can do in music besides being a rock star? And I was like, what does that mean? And I think for a lot of people, there's just so much available, but it hasn't been modeled. So we don't even know to pursue it. You know, you go to college when you're 18 and there's like four ideas that you have. You know, I could be a lawyer, an accountant, a doctor, a teacher. There's just not that many shades of various professions. And I said, you know what, maybe there is something else. And I do believe that what you seek is seeking you. And I started looking into it. I was like, what else can I do? Obviously, I have some talent. And I read an article in Billboard magazine about a bunch of people who were licensing their songs to TV and film, which really meant that they were a, they were being paid for a TV show or an ad agency to use their song. And then they still own the song so they could license it again to someone else. And I thought, well, that's something I've never thought of as like a viable career. And I thought, oh, that's so much more in my control than trying to get signed by a label and then thinking that that's the Cinderella story. They're going to take care of everything else. I thought this makes a little bit more sense. Maybe I can start writing music and seeing if I can license it to different shows and ads. And that's just what I did. And I wound up being really resourceful and figuring out who to know and figuring out what they might need and anticipating their needs and listening to the 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 songs that were being used in various brands and in various TV shows. And it made sense that there was like something consistent about the sound, the types of stories that were being told in the lyrics and the types of production. And I worked at it and um, it took me about, I don't know, 30 mediocre songs until they started to get better. <laughs> and then... Um, well, that, that's what I loved is you went and listened to like, hey, what is actually getting licensed? Right. And then you said, I think I can write music that kind of fits that mold. Is that is that kind of music similar to what you were doing anyway? Or did you have to change a lot? 
it was similar in one sense that I tried to find what I could connect to that I could say authentically. Like I would listen to different ads and the songs they were using for McDonald's and Target and Lowe's and JCPenney. And I would think, okay, well, of all of these brands, which one has a sonic palette that is the kind of thing that I would fit? So it wouldn't be like a me trying to, you know, be someone I'm not. And I realized that there was so much beauty there because then instead of going to the studio and just writing a song, I was inspired by the kinds of stories that were being told. I realized that ads tell really hopeful, inspiring, happy, feel good stories. Like we've got this together. You know, we're going to overcome it. We're going to be our own person. We're going to be bold. We're going to be an original. There's a lot of that. And then in TV, there's a lot of like, I, I'll be by your side. Count on me. I'm here for you. And I thought, well, those are the things that stuck out to, stuck out to me. And so I sort of married both my you know, own sensibility with the things that I felt I could serve. And it is truly amazing for a creative person when you stop just making things and you start making things for other people, just like you would make dinner for someone else, just like you would buy someone else a gift instead of just buying them something or making something for dinner and hoping that the person likes it. It's like, what about thinking about this other person? And I think that is what is the difference between a hobby and a business. A business means it's not just for you, right? Someone else is going to pay you because they think that that thing is beautiful. They love that thing as well. And I think that that's actually a huge way to serve your purpose is to use your talent to make things, whether it's pottery or whether you're painting or dancing or creating clothing, that it's not just about you. It's about really thinking about that empathy for other people and having them in mind at your, as you're sitting with the potter's wheel, as you're making music. And I think that there is a sweet spot where you can, like Michelangelo. I mean, Michelangelo was hired to paint the Sistine Chapel. It wasn't his own painting that he then sold. He was commissioned to paint something. And a lot of the early artists were commissioned to paint a certain thing, but then they did it their way. And that is definitely a form of art, you know? And I think that we, we've lost sight of that a little bit. I think people forget that there is definitely a way to monetize anything, whether it's your podcast or your course or your art. If you think about where what you do well meets what other people really want and need and really try to tease that out as best as you can. Sure. And like you said, you, you started off with 30 songs that were kind of, okay. And then, yeah. uh, then things started to pick up obviously with that. Yeah. Things started to pick up. You know, I think that it takes a lot of courage because everyone has to start off being mediocre. And even though I had gotten the attention of a record deal a couple of times, those songs that they liked were different. They were more like top 40 pop songs. A lot of songs that artists write are about breakups or love or love that went bad or love that's unrequited. Songs for TV and ads were, they were different. The way the story is being told is a little bit more universal and it takes time with anything to be good at it. And um, I think we all have to have the courage to make mediocre things so that we can then push through that and make brilliant things. And so after you know, going back and keep working on it and getting feedback from people I trusted and who I thought were experts, which I found really valuable. I then started to hit my stride. And since then, I've been able to make a few hundred thousand dollars a year with my music. It's been like 12 years like that. Nice. 
And then the the fun thing is, being that uh, the music biz is a little kind of all over the place at, at this point, a little bit. All your music buddies said, "Hey, um, how you doing that?" Right. And so you then, uh, I always say, sometimes if you jump in your niche and you don't have a product, you will figure out the product once you get there. And that's kind of what you did. You went, oh, wait a minute. I now have a skill. First, I started an agency. I was written about in Billboard and Variety and the LA Weekly, like these full page stories of me with a picture. And I thought, oh, well, maybe that'll lead me back to becoming a rock star. (laughs) Look at me, you know, I'm doing something great. But the record labels were not interested. And what did happen was something I never planned for, which is that so many artists read those articles and started sending me emails and saying, you know, I see that you're able to somehow write the right songs and then somehow get them to the right people. And I was very um, industrious. Like I used to send emails to NBC and Lionsgate and Fox and CBS and ad agencies. And I would say, Hey, you know, can I bring you a coffee and drop off some music? And I was very, I, I found a way to be inventive and stick out. And so I was my own agent. So a lot of people started asking me, how do you do this? How do you do this? And, um, I opened an agency after a lot of reluctance. I thought, if I open an agency, will the you know creative people see me as an artist or will they see me as a business person? And aren't I just supposed to be one thing? And I find that we live in a time where the people who are really successful are multi-hyphenate. You know, it's like Amy Schumer. She's a writer and a director and an actor. She's she's not waiting around for the work. You know, she's just going to create it. So I uh, I finally said, you know what, the heck with it. Let's just see what happens. And I started to do this agency. And I started helping other artists. And now I had more resources for these relationships that I had started. I had other kinds of songs when they would need them. And they just saw me as like more helpful. And then my own music did better. And then about two years later, I realized that there were so many people sending me songs and they just weren't the right songs. And I had to spend the time to teach them, you know, well, here's what you need to write and here's what's not going to work. And you could send me this all day till you're blue in the face, but no one's going to use the song because it's so specific or the, the production is not cinematic and there needs to be a build in the, in the production and the instrumentations, you know, needs to be dynamics. And I, I just didn't have the time. So I started a course to help people figure out how to write music that would be workable. And that course did really well. And then I had this agency plus my own songwriting and then this course and the course started to make, you know, multi six figures a year. And then from the course, we started to find amazing artists and they only started getting their first licenses from being in the course. It's somebody who got a Starbucks spot for $55,000. Somebody else got an $85,000 course light spot and on and on. And I thought, well, this is really cool. Like I wasn't even sure at first, like, can I teach this to someone else? Will it work? But I did. Then I had like all these plates spinning that were actually working well. Um, And they were all feeding each other because the work that I would do as an artist, it was working out because inside the course, I would interview people from NBC and Ogilvy and McCann agency and all the different networks. And then they they loved being interviewed in the course. So it would just deepen the relationship I would have. And they would follow up with me more and ask me for more music. And then I would keep encouraging the artists to write well and give them feedback. So I'd have more music and then the agency would just keep going. So they were all feeding each other. And I started to rent a theater and have like live workshops. And I would bring in, you know, the guy who runs the soundtrack department at Disney or somebody from Hasbro. And it was so fun 
And that was also really creative because I would charge people to come to the theater. I would rent it for a price, but then charge people for the seats. And it was so good. Like everything was just working. And then, and then things sort of leveled up because one of my students said, you're so helpful. Why don't you start a podcast that helps any creative person figure out how to do their creative dream? And um, on a whim, I started a podcast 21 months ago in my closet. And uh, we now have over 3 million downloads. And we've been on the iTunes charts like the whole time. We've never left the top of the charts. And I don't even get it. And <laughs> the world, it really is. It makes me feel so helpful. Like I'm doing something that's helping people. And I've gotten to meet so many incredible creative people, actors, potters, fashion designers, makeup creators, you know, everyone from Tamara Mellon who started Jimmy Choo to Bobby Brown who started her makeup line to Jonathan Adler to Seth Godin to Jen Sincero who wrote this book, You Are a Badass to Gretchen Rubin to it's just on and on. It's just been Jenna Fisher who was Pam on The Office. She's been on the show. And, and then artists like Lisa Loeb we had on and we're having Andy Grammer on uh, this month who's like a big big deal touring artists. Uh, it's just crazy. I mean, it's just been so fun. And I have three kids, three young kids. I was going to say, so you, you have, do you still do the agency at this point? Yeah, I do all of these things. And and have three kids. Yeah, and I'm really tired. I really am. Like I, <laughs> I'm starting to feel like I'm reaching a point where something's going to have to give. Um, I do have three awesome women who help me run the agency and the course. And then I have sort of taken a little break from my own songwriting, but I still do license my songs that I wrote like a year ago. And I just wrote the theme song to a Netflix show. I'll do like a few things a year, but I'm not as crazy. I'm not in the studio anymore twice a week like I was. And then with the podcast, I have someone helping me. I have a couple people. So I've had to bring on help, but I do feel like uh, I might jump ship from Los Angeles soon and uh, buy a house on the ocean like in Florida and, and breathe a little easier. I might. I'm not joking. It's just, it's getting a little bit, a lot. Yeah. Well, you said you have two things I want to dig into. You said when you were trying this agency thing at first, you had to do some things to stick out to get people's attention. Yeah. Do you remember what you did? Yeah, I, I, I um, did lots of things. I remember one time I was alluding to it before, but I was sending emails and nobody was writing back. And um, by the way, Tim Ferriss, I was just told this from Alex Benayan. He wrote a book called The Third Door and he interviewed Tim Ferriss and Steven Spielberg and Bill Gates. It's a great book. He has a great story. He was on my podcast. He told me for that firsthand, he heard from Tim Ferriss, Tim Ferriss's email strategy, where it's like, you keep it really short and sweet. You should be really personable. Don't give people this long-winded spiel on yourself. And, and then at the end, you know, let the person know you don't have to write me back, but give them one specific thing that they could answer that would take like 10 seconds to answer because it's like a call to action. And I realized I'd been doing that. And sometimes I would hear back from people because the, the original emails that people sent that I used to send, they'd be like, hi, my name is Kathy Heller and I'm a singer songwriter and here's my song and here's what I've done. But nobody's interested. It's like no one talks to each other like that at a party or when you're sitting next <laughs> to someone on an airplane. You know, you, you have a back and forth. You ask people questions. You find points where you can connect. Oh, I also love tennis. Oh, I also have a child. Oh, we also love going to Big Bear for winter break. You know, like you find connections. So I started realizing that I needed to be more personable. And I started sending emails where I would say things like, let's say the person name is Michelle. Hey, Michelle, hope you had a great weekend. 
I just got engaged. Do you have any marriage advice for me? I'm totally overwhelmed and excited. Here's a link to one of my newest songs. If there's anything I can do for you, let me know. Just curious. Do you ever use songs that are up-tempo? Do you ever use songs that are about going home? You do not have to write me back. Hope you're having a great day. I know you're super busy. You know, I'd be thrilled to hear from you, but you don't hear, write me back. And then there'd be like a picture of like something that I love. Like maybe it's fall and I like love pumpkin spice lattes. And I put a picture that says like, I'm so glad the pumpkin spice lattes are here and it's sweater weather. And people started responding to those kinds of emails because they were just more people or personal. Yeah. yeah. And that started to work. And then after a while, I realized, well, there's certain people that I'm not hearing back from. I got to try something else. And so on a whim, I'm a, I'm a big fan of not overthinking it because you get so much clarity from being in the action, not like thinking, but like doing things. And so on a whim, I, I opened up my computer and I'm, I'm a very novice graphic person, but I just made this really simple PDF. And it was like a picture of a Starbucks latte, a plus sign, and then a picture of a little girl playing guitar. And I put at the top, mochas and music. And I said, step one, tell me your favorite Starbucks drink. Step two, tell me what day and time to drop it off. Step three, I will leave you with music and a coffee. And that was it. And I sent that to like 60 people. I remember one day and 26 people wrote me back. And I went to 26 offices with coffee in my hand. Sometimes I'd be like, Oh, does your assistant want anything? And, and um, I would drop it off. And a lot of people said, sit down, like, tell me about yourself. And some people were just like, thank you. And I was like, yeah, no problem. And, uh, I wound up having 26 songs licensed that next year. Every person used a song of mine. Nice. It's a little thing I like to call the work. The work. <laughs> you know I, mean? I actually get to work. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, it's just, I, so many people send me form, you know, Hey, I love your podcast. Not, and I always want to go, which one? And then blah, blah, blah. And then it just like, oh. so when somebody does that extra work, something different, it, you, you, words cannot explain how much you stand out when you do something That's like right. that. So that is, that is awesome. Clarity and action. I love that as well. And, and you mentioned Seth Godin, one of my favorite quotes of his, and it kind of ties in with what you did. Don't find customers for your products, find products for your customers. Ooh, right. It's about, about solving those problems. Yeah. Yeah. I want to thank you so much for coming on again. Kathy Heller, don't keep your day job. I highly recommend it. it. I am definitely, I'm doing exactly what I tell people. I found your podcast. Well, I actually heard you on another podcast. So there's another one. <laughs> I heard you on another podcast. I was like, wow, that's a really cool story. Went to your website. I listened to episode 100, which is great. I heard you say, I started 21 months ago. I'm up to three in a closet. I'm up to 3 million downloads. And I was like, holy cow. I know. And I'm now binging on your entire back You're catalog. So, sweet, so David, thank you so much. I really appreciate feeling all the support and encouragement. You know, we're all at the end of the day, we're all just people and it feels so good that other people value what we're doing. So thank you. Oh, I love that interview. I, I again, check out her website. Don't keep your day but what did she do? She figured out, okay, who is my audience? My audience is people that are going to pay me for music. Okay, what do they want? Okay. And it took her a while. She said 30 songs. And then when she finally got some songs, what did she do? She got feedback from her audience who said, yeah, we needed to do a little more of this. And then, so then she, she got fairly successful with that, got some exposure in magazines. And then people were like, hey, uh, do you do this? And they're like, uh, I guess I do. 
That was her thing. I, what the heck? All right, let's start an agency. And the agency led to her starting a course. And the course led to her doing live events. Everything is feeding each other. And every time she's like, I don't know, let's see what happens. And all the while, you know, somebody says, you really should do a podcast. Okay, great. She starts one in her closet. 21 months later, 3 million downloads. Amazing. And I loved her strategies for standing out. Here's what her, her strategy did. Number one, it made her stand out. How? Because she did the work. She didn't send out blanket forms to people. But the other thing she did, she did what she said she was going to do. If you, if you respond to this, I will bring you a coffee. Let me know what kind you want and I'll bring you some music. And then she did. So what did that prove? It proved she was trustworthy. I will do what you want me to do. I will all that stuff. So I loved that interview. Again, check her out. Don't keep your day job.com. I met Tim Page at a podcasting event, and I sat in one of his sessions where he was teaching, I believe, email marketing, if I remember right. He is, I always say this, I love it when the good guys win, and Tim is a really nice guy. I think he specializes now in webinars, but the other thing he does is voiceover work, and you've probably heard him if you've seen a advertisement for 911 the TV show if you've seen any kind of promos for Jimmy Kimmel or Big Brother or the Ghost Whisperer or UFC fighting i mean it goes on and on and on you can see his demos at thevoiceoftimpage.com and page is p a i g e.com really talented guy and he wrote a great post on Facebook about quote Quitting your day job. And look, I think we all, for those of us that at least hate their day job, would love to quit their day job and sit at home in our jammies and just watch money from heaven. And Tim actually, well, he doesn't sit around in his jammies and wait for money from heaven, but he does have a vocal booth in his home and he shared some insights. And I just wanted to share these with you. A lot of people ask me what steps they should take to quit their job and go all in on their dream thing. Most of them are voice actors, but others are entrepreneurs as well. He says, I have a hard time answering that because everyone's situation is different. We all have different needs and circumstances. We all need a different amount of income to make it. But I'll share what I believe are a few of the most important steps I took to put myself in the position to go full-time. Sort of a pre-step. One of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard about going full-time in voiceover, but applies really elsewhere, is not to do it until it's costing you more than you're making in your full-time job not to leave. Meaning, the opportunities you have to turn down are worth more financially than your full-time job is making you. This was the case for me. It was the only reason I left. Don't do it because with the added hours, I have so much more potential. That's dangerous. Instead, do it because you literally have to turn down the work. It's also worth noting that I have an incredibly supportive and wonderful wife 
who supports me chasing my dreams. Okay. Key step for me, number one, get out of debt. For some, that's a lot easier than others. I had quite a bit of debt and it took me years and years to work my way out of it. But I worked three jobs at times. I had side hustles and freelanced and did whatever it took. For a time, I didn't go out or buy anything new. I followed Dave Ramsey's plan. It worked for me, but whatever plan you follow is probably fine. But being out of debt made it so much less stressful to take the leap. I don't have to worry about a ton of bills every month. Sure, we still have expenses, but on a really bad month, we're still okay because we don't have huge debt payments going out. Key step number two for me, reinvest. For the first maybe three years, I'm going to repeat that. For the first maybe three years, holy cow, I reinvested every single penny I made in voiceover back into my business. This is hard for people to do because they have bills. They want to enjoy the fruits of their labor. I know that income comes really hard in the first few years. So when you're just putting it back into your business, it's tough. But this step accelerated my career. This step is why I was able to go full-time so quickly. It's why my first agent was and is one of the biggest in the world. First, I bought coaching. I bought coaching before I even knew what voiceover really was. It helped me avoid the steep learning curve that's in the beginning of any voice actor's career. Eventually, I upgraded my gear and then again later. I bought a hanging vocal booth since I was in an apartment at the time. Then later, when I bought my house, I built a custom booth. I reinvested in marketing, a website, branding, education, events, courses. I don't know what others have spent on coaching and training, but anytime I've shared the number with someone, they're blown away. But I was going all in, and so far, it's paid off. Obviously now I don't reinvest every dollar I make back into the business, but I do reinvest a good portion of it because I'm not resting on my laurels. I want to get better. I have a long way to go and I'm playing the long game here. Key step for me, number three, be open to opportunity. I do voiceover for some industries that typically don't ever use voiceover. I have clients who've hired me and I've turned them into some of the most lucrative accounts, all because I was open to it. My eyes are always scanning for what's next. How can I provide value? How can I fit into the marketplace? I've made the mistake of doing the opposite during my short voiceover career. I got too myopic. I focused on the area of voiceover I wanted most to work on and closed off the other areas, and it hurt my business badly. It took me a while to get back on track. Some people say you should just laser focus on the thing you most want to do. And that's cool if it works for you. For me, I found that being open to interesting opportunities has afforded me the peace of mind to be in the moment when those quote dream opportunities come up. The quote less fun stuff. Yeah, those pay the bills and the quote dream stuff lights me up inside. Key step number four, get your mind right. I'm still working on this one, and sometimes it fails me. 
But the times when my business is doing the worst is usually when my mind isn't right, when I'm too focused on what's not working, when I'm too focused on what I don't have instead of what I do, when I'm too desperate, when I'm too needy, envious, when I'm looking at peers, friends even, and thinking, I wish I had that. I didn't get that audition. Why not? Or I guess I'm not in the same league as them. One of the lowest points in my career so far came last year. I had a lot of questions about what was going on. I was scared and frustrated. I was doubting myself hardcore. I got a coaching session with someone I never worked with before to try and break the funk. And he said a few things to me that really did an amazing job pulling me out of that funk. It's usually when I clear my mind, focus on what I'm grateful for, and just do my things that seem to come together. I can be in the moment during auditions. I can focus on delivering on the script instead of trying to book a job. It's not so much about me anymore as it is about delivering the value my potential clients and my clients need. With a crappy mindset, everything is harder. And you can't wait for things to get better before you fix your mindset. The mindset's got to change first or nothing will change. All right, Tim says, that's it. That's my best advice for when someone asks me how to go full-time in their thing. I hope it's helpful. If not, well, as my dad would say, go take a shit for yourself. Now, if you enjoyed that particular segment, you'll notice something there. What does Tim credit his success to? A spouse and his attitude. Well, if you like that kind of thing, check out my last episode, schoolofpodcasting.com slash 644, where I talked about the three things that every podcaster needs. And you guessed it. It's your spouse, better known as your support, your attitude. And the last one is your health. But he mentioned there a coach. And of course, you're going to say, Dave, of course you think everybody needs a coach. You're a coach. But the thing that always scratches my head is I'll have somebody go, you know, Dave, I'd like to join the school of podcasting, but just can't afford the $49 a month to which I go, you do know you can get 20% off with the coupon code listener. And they'll go, yeah, I'm uh, I'm on, I don't know, I work for so-and-so, I don't make that much money, but I am going to podcast movement or I am going to this, or I'm going to do, I'm like, wait a minute. So, because if you think about it, if you go to an event, an event is a great way to to learn and, and get that support, but you're looking at $1,000 by the time you count in hotel and an airplane and food and everything else. I'm like, wait, you're, you won't spend, okay. All right. It makes me scratch my head a little bit, but let me give you this little bit of advice because I don't want to pitch too hard here. I just... That makes me scratch my head because I want to help everybody. But if you sign up for an online course or any kind of thing that you're going to do that, you also have to go to your calendar and block out the time. When am I going to spend 15 minutes a day to watch a tutorial? When am I going to spend 20 minutes, a half hour a day to do this, to work on that? Because it takes practice. My buddy Jacob, I mentioned him at the beginning of the show. He's in the basement practicing, just like when I did when I was a musician, We didn't go, hey, let's start a band. Our first gig is next week. You had to take a little time to work on your craft. Find your voice. And with a band, when I was in a band, we would find the songs we wanted to do. And then we'd go, okay, how many of those do we actually sound good at? Because we all loved all sorts of music. But like, yeah, we don't do any good. We don't have a horn section. So doing a lot of Motown is not going to work. 
It's that practice that you need. And it's the coaching that you need for somebody to go, that's not that good. Here's a better way that you maybe could do that and help you fine tune that and get you out the door quicker in the right direction. So if you want to join my mentoring program, I got that going on right now. It works out great with the new year coming up. Simply go to schoolofpodcasting.com slash work with me. Or if you'd rather do the self-paced tutorials, which you also then get to work with me, just not quite as side-by-side, simply go out to schoolofpodcasting.com slash start. Everything you need, my contact information, it's all out there, schoolofpodcasting.com. And I know for the regular listeners, you might be going, wait a minute, Dave, you forgot about the question of the month. No, I didn't. I'm putting it here because it's my super fans like you that are listening to the end that realize this week in the U.S. we have a holiday coming up on Thursday. And I need your answer to the question of the month. What's the question of the month? The question of the month is, what book do you recommend the most to your friends and family? I have one I know already. I actually have two. I'm looking for one. But the other thing I want you to do, be sure to tell me if you have a podcast where I can find it and a little bit about it. You know, the old elevator pitch. And you could go out to schoolofpodcasting.com slash contact. And then if you're going to email me, you could record something and email it to me. My email is just dave at schoolofpodcasting.com. Again, that's out at schoolofpodcasting.com slash contact. And just put November question in the subject line. And that will be coming out next week, next Monday, the 26th of November. So I need it by Friday, the 23rd. So I look forward to working with you. Thank you to Kathy Heller for sharing her story, and thank you to Tim Page for letting me talk about his story. So to sign up for the mentorship program or join the School of Podcasting or contact me or subscribe to the show, everything is out there, schoolofpodcasting.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next week, class is dismissed. Take care and God bless. Everything we talk about today, you can find, this is like call to action number 27, I think. School of Podcasting. Guy. So to sign up for the Mounder, gads, when we're talking about making the content, your content that is going to impact your audience, and we're going to hear out from, ah, crap. I've got Kathy Heller on here today. Heller on? Who is Kathy Heller on? Kathy Heller on.